What's going on? And welcome into a Lundy Gras edition of the Pelican Podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Sowerson, alongside my partner in crime, Jim Eikenoffer of Pelican.com. It's just the two of us today as, you know, we actually were not scheduled to have a podcast today as the Pelicans are traveling back from Los Angeles this afternoon after they practice. But with how everything went over the weekend for New Orleans, Jim and I texted each other last night and said we have to talk about what's been going on with the Pelican. So Jim, happy Mardi Gras. You know, Jim's relaxed whenever he's doing this from a recliner. You know, normally he's on a chair, office chair, you name it. But Jim is laid back in his lazy boy, just enjoying what went down this weekend. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well, you know, just basking in the glow of a 28 point win over the Lakers last night. So I'm doing well. You actually were a little bit inaccurate. You actually pulled me away from the pool to do this ah. podcast. So um, but I'm more than happy to to uh, to come in and do a non-scheduled podcast based on what we witnessed last night in Los Angeles. I pulled myself away from all the boats behind me here at Marina del Rey. So I definitely hear that. But of course, we have to talk about what's been going down with the Pelicans post all-star break. Two wins against two good teams. I'll say good teams. One did not play like a good team last night in the Los Angeles Lakers, but the Phoenix Suns on a little bit of a skid, but they're also the best team in the NBA. 117-102 on Friday night, and the Pelicans defeated the Lakers last night, as Jim mentioned, 123-95. to Is Jim, let's start. Is there a common denominator in these two wins? Was there something that they did both, that they did well in both games that led to them heading home today with a 2-0 post-All-Star break record? I think so. I mean, what you're going to see on the highlight shows and what, most of the tweets are going to be about, including by me, are going to be scoring plays and three-pointers made and dunks and some of the great ball movement and passing the Pelicans have had in these first two games after the break. But to me, the defense has been maybe a little bit underrated, great element of, of the success they've had so far. Um, Phoenix only scored 105 points, and as we know in today's NBA, it's that's a good number. You know, the, the points have gone way up the last few years. And then the Lakers only had 95 last night and they had to score 30 in the fourth quarter just to get to that number. So um, the aggressiveness that New Orleans has been playing with defensively, it seems like they've been swarming, especially in the Lakers game where they were getting so many steals and disrupting so many different things that the Lakers were trying to do. Uh, the Lakers just look totally out of sorts. I mean, some of that you, you have to give credit to New Orleans's defense. There were some passes that were astray. There was a one in particular that ended up in the maybe the 10th row. I'm not sure how much that was New Orleans defense, but a lot of the other miscues that the Lakers had, I think you had to credit to just the fact that the Pelicans had them kind of perplexed on offense. DeAndre Jordan trying to do his best Matthew Stafford impression, I think, on that long touchdown throw, it seemed like, to one, someone in the crowd. Um, but, yeah, I agree. I think the defense has been huge in both those games. 102 points allowed last game, just 95 and it's something in the water about these third quarters, Jim. On Friday night, it was a 42-point third quarter, the most the Pelicans have had all season long. It was their only 40-point quarter of the season. And then on Sunday, they said, hold my beer. I'm going to put up 44 in a 44-25 to third. It just seems like, one, credit to Willie Green on the adjustments he's making in the halftime, but two, this team is coming out ready to play in that third quarter. I think that sets the tone as well for them in the second half. Yeah, and, and you know, specifically for Sunday's game, and by the way, I guess I cheated the Pelicans defense out of three points in the Phoenix game. I think I said they gave up 105, but you're right, they gave up 102, so even better. But as far as Sunday, I thought 
I'm not sure how much the players talked about this after the game, but I think there was some level of frustration after the first half, because even though they were up by 11, it seemed like they could have been up by a lot more, um, just made some mistakes that were uncharacteristic. They had some fast breaks that they didn't convert um, with bad passes or maybe trying to do a little bit too much. instead of just making the simple play, which is something that Willie Green talked about after the game that at halftime, he told them, you know, guys, just make the simple play, just do the basic stuff that's going to work. And we don't need to go beyond that. So, I mean, for me personally, I, I felt that way. I was a little frustrated that they weren't ahead by more than 11 at halftime. So it's possible that that was a motivating factor when they came out in the third quarter, they had tons of intensity. They seemed like they were just ready to, to put the game away. And um, that's exactly what happened. They were able to say, you know, we may, maybe we let the Lakers hang around in the first half, but that's going to, that's not going to happen now. And um, really, like you said, I think one of the best quarters they played all season. I think one of the questions heading into the all-star break was the rotations as two frustrating losses heading into the all-star break. Reporters were asking Willie Green about kind of, is there a chance that he'll tweak the rotations? And he said, yeah, we're looking at everything. And I feel like in these two games, you saw the rotations pretty much intact. As far as the starting five, you have Jonas and Jackson Hayes, along with, with Ingram, Herbert Jones, and CJ McComb. And off the bench, for the most part, it's Snell, Graham, Alvarado, and Marshall. And you maybe sprinkle in some Billy in case one of the bigs gets in foul trouble. But how much does that help kind of knowing everybody's role and maybe that kind of not relaxing players a little bit, but knowing which guys know they have to be ready and which guys know that, you know, I'll be ready and my number's called, but I may not be playing some heavy minutes like I used to. I think Willie setting that rotation, I feel like, helps these guys a little bit as well. One of the things that Willie said after the game was that he shrunk the rotation a little bit and that's allowed guys to play more minutes. Sometimes if you have 10 or 11, 12 guys, that are all getting playing time, you kind of cut into how much of an impact each of those bench players can make because their minutes aren't getting up there into close to maybe the 15, 20 minute range. So I think that's definitely helped, but I think for both the starting lineup and the bench unit, the guy, the four guys that you mentioned along with Billy, um, I, I see just a nice combination and complement of roles right now um, in the starting lineup. Obviously you have McCollum and Ingram that are potent scorers that can, go one-on-one and get your baskets. And then you also have Jonas that can do a lot of the same damage, but just closer to the basket as well as Jackson Hayes, where he seems to be cutting to the hoop and always open to get some of those, you know, slams from the dunker spot. And then you have Herb, obviously he's a great defensive player. So that five man combination just seems to work really well. Um, And the same you could say for the bench. I mean, to me, you've got Devontae now who's played a lot better in terms of scoring, which is really the main thing that he can bring to the backup unit. Tony Snell has been really great with spot up shooting. And that's something that he's done his whole career. And then you also, and now you also have Jose Alvarado and Najee Marshall who are kind of those gritty defensive guys. So I just like the way that it's all kind of come together for both, you know, the first and second unit. It just seems like they found a really good mix of players where you have, all of the boxes checked off that, okay, we need, we need some defense. We need some scoring. We need some outside shooting. It seems like you're getting that no matter who's on the floor right now. Let's talk about Devontae Graham for a second here. And something that stuck out with our post game interview with him yesterday on ESPN radio, which you were able to uh, tweet about was the fact that Willie green went to Devontae Graham's house and talked to him about his new role. Like 
I feel like that's something that's pretty rare in the NBA as far as a head coach going right to the man's house and saying, hey, look, this is why we're going to do this. Obviously, we still need you that you're part of the team, but we think that what's best for you is to come off the bench. And, and Devontae, one, took it really well, saying I'm just here to help the team win. But what does that say about coaching and player relations, especially when it comes to head coach Willie Green and all the great things that have been said about him, especially coming from the players that – the fact that that was a conversation that Willie did at his house, I mean, you can easily just be like, well, yeah, we're just going to – we'll have a – you know, it's my way or the highway. This is how it's going to go. You're going to like it. I mean, whether you like it or not, this is what it's going to be. But the fact that Willie was able to go to his house, I mean, this says a lot about both gentlemen. Definitely. I mean, I have a lot of respect for both of those guys from the brief amount of time, the few months that we've been around them already. But, I mean, it doesn't surprise me in some ways based on – what we've learned come to learn about both of them. Um, I'm curious if, if this was a trip out to like way out to, you know, Kenner maybe, or was, was this like, if it's where I live, I, I not to take anything away from it, but it, it's a very easy commute from the practice facility, but I guess we'll have to find that out later yeah. of what, what kind of trip we're talking about here that Willie had to make, but no, I, I joke, but I think, um, I think Devonte mentioned how, it shows respect that he was, it wasn't just a phone call or a text. I'm sure there's coaches who would text and be like, Hey, uh, you're coming off the bench now in a text. See you at practice tomorrow. But the fact that he was able to go to tell him in person and kind of sit down with him and, and talk to him about it, I think is great. But Devante's reaction based on what we've seen, like I said, the last few months, as well as we know someone very well who works for the Charlotte Hornets um, who told me that Devante's a great guy. So before he even came here, I was expecting him to be a good dude. He was somebody that everybody in the Charlotte organization really loved. So the fact that he handled it as well as he did and, and was totally fine with it, I think is great, but also not surprising because it seems like he just has a great attitude and he's a very positive guy, which I think fits in well with the kind of the theme of what they're trying to establish here with the culture of the, of the organization. Another guy you touched on was Tony Snell. I feel like whenever we refer to the trade, we refer it as a CJ McCollum trade, and rightfully so, the way he is. And he's been averaging, you know, 26, 27-plus points as a Pelican. But Tony Snell has been a huge contributor off the bench for New Orleans. And when you look at his numbers heading into this trade, it was just a couple points per game. He didn't play a ton in Portland. Um, didn't mean that he was not talented. I think it was just the way Portland structured their rotations as Tony Snell was not part of the equation. But – with the Pelicans and how much they struggled from three. I mean, last night was actually one of their better three-point shooting nights, 13 to 30 from the field. But this is a team that has the worst three-point differential in the NBA, the Pelicans. But Tony Snell has been a huge contributor off the bench. And then plus when you get Larry Nance back, I mean, I, I think people need to realize that this is just more than the C.J. McCollum trade. This is all those three players that are coming are, are going to be productive for New Orleans. Yeah, I think sometimes – we've it's surprising sometimes we've seen this before in the NBA where the situation you're in sometimes dictates the opportunity that you get. And I, I don't, I haven't really examined it that closely, but in terms of what happened with Portland of why he wasn't playing that much, but obviously they have, they have and had 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 a bunch of good guards. So maybe that was part of why he wasn't able to get on the floor. And I think sometimes when you don't get a great opportunity and then you do get to play and you don't shoot well, which is his numbers weren't great this season in the limited playing time that he had, it kind of, um, kind of expands on itself in terms of, okay, now you're not really able to get yourself out of the situation where you're not playing because you're not playing well in the limited time that you're getting. Um, he was with Atlanta. There's there another team that 
I mean, they're stocked with talent. They have so many guards. They have so many wings that are good players. So, I mean, it's not necessarily shocking that he didn't get a chance to play um, a ton with them. But, I mean, you look at it, to me, he's he's here with the Pelicans. He's giving them exactly what they need. I mean, we've talked about this, I think, for multiple years now, where having somebody coming off the bench that can just make spot-up jumpers is a huge thing that they have sometimes lacked and something that's something that they really need, but he's been incredible with, um, I don't have no idea why teams are keeping, letting him be wide open. I mean, he's definitely not at the top of scouting reports when you play against new Orleans. I mean, partly because he's only been here for a little while, but partly because he's a bench guy, but man, uh, I hope to keep seeing teams do that because he's been incredible. He's shooting over 50% on threes. And I jokingly tweeted last night that he's shooting 118% when he's left wide open on three pointers, which I think is a pretty good rate. So, um, but yeah, he, like you said, the trade is more than just CJ McCollum. Tony Snell has been a great pickup so far um, more than proven himself in the, you know, couple of weeks that he's been here. And I'm also optimistic about Larry Nance jr. That he's been a, a really good role player throughout his career. And I think he can give new Orleans some things that they need as well. Just like Tony Snell, um, Nance is a really versatile defensive player. He's a really good help guy. He's athletic. I think there are a lot of things that, the, that he'll be able to provide off the bench. So we hope to see him on the court sometime relatively soon, which sounds like he's he was optimistic when he spoke to the media recently that that will be the case that, you know, within a few weeks, he'll be able to get closer to being on the court. Yeah, he was on the road trip with the Pelicans, still is on the road trip. As, as we're taping this, we are still here in Los Angeles, but um, he was doing some work on the court. Um, during this whole time while the other players were getting ready for the basketball game. So, yeah, it is optimistic, too. And speaking of optimistic, we have, let's talk about CJ a little bit, what he's been able to add to the team, too. We can't forget about what he's been able to do. I mean, 30-plus points in four of his seven appearances with the Pelicans. He only had two heading into – or two heading into this trade. What have you seen from CJ? One, from a leadership standpoint, you saw it with his media availability on Thursday, kind of his approach to the Zion Williamson situation – plus his Players' Tribune article about why he chose New Orleans and why he wants to be here. But then on the court, when you see some of the, the pull-up shots and five seconds on the shot clock, this is a guy in isolation that just can get buckets no matter what. I mean, that's the kind of player you were missing with this team. I just, what have you seen from CJ in his first seven games in the Pelicans uniform? Yeah, I think off the court, like you mentioned, some of the intangibles, I mean, he gets a 15 on a scale of 1 to 10. It's been incredible how much leadership he's shown um, people. I think he's already extraordinarily popular among the fan base. Even if you said us, even if he hadn't played a game yet, just by some of the comments and some of the, um, the attitude that he shows, I think people have immediately embraced him and love him. But I think in terms of basketball wise, I wonder, and, and granted it's like you said, it's been only been seven games, but is he better than everyone even realized? I, I, I think when I heard some of the analysis of the trade, there were times and granted I'm biased. I, obviously I, we can admit that a little to some extent that we're biased, but yes, I feel I like so. I know that <laughs> I feel like I know the NBA to the extent that when I heard some of the commentary about the trade, I was, I felt like throwing something at the TV or shaking my phone as I listened to a podcast and be like, you guys, y'all realize how good CJ McCollum is like, this is not a decent player. Who's like, Oh, he's had a pretty good career. Um, he's been spectacular. He's been phenomenal. He's been, he was the number two guy for Portland on a team that made the playoffs, you know, seven, eight years in a row. And I think he's mentioned a few times lately that he's like, now I'm moving into a different role. And 
as the guy who can, as a guy that can put up 30 points a game and do it so efficiently, I mean, how can you not be incredibly impressed with how he's played? And I do wonder if when he mentioned that, I mean, it would be probably more fair to ask him what he meant by that, but it makes me think he, he thought maybe he's more capable. He was capable of doing more than what he did in Portland, which was already a ton, but I mean, so far it's just amazing to see him step into this spot and play the way, the way he has, has, I think he's been one of the most respected players in the league, both, both on and off the court for a long time. That's no big secret, but I do think that he might even be better than, than we thought he was, which is saying something because as you know, and as Antonio Daniels said on the podcast, when we had him on last week, um, I was overjoyed when I heard about the trade. I mean, I was more excited about this addition of CJ McCollum than I have been about maybe any player in a long time that's been added to the franchise. So for him to even exceed my expectations of what I thought is pretty incredible. So I think, I mean, what else can you say about him, the way he's played so far? And if he keeps this up, I think there's some really good things in store for this team over the last 20 games of the season. I think uh, J.J. Redick was someone that called him a top 50 player in the league. The fact that the Pelicans got him in the trade. I mean, the fact that you get that, talk about the respect from his peers and someone that J.J. played against for a long time. Um, that's pretty big to be labeled as a top 50 player in the NBA right now. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I ran into a, a season ticket holder the other day who said, who didn't know much too much about McCollum because I was asking him about what he thinks about C.J. so far. And he mentioned the same thing. He's like, he's like, yeah, I heard he's a top 50 player. And I kind of laughed a little bit because I was like, I think he's playing way above based on how he's played for New Orleans so far. He's been like a top 25, top 30 player, at least maybe right. higher than that. I mean, he's been in the top five or so in scoring since he came to New Orleans. And like I said, doing it in such an efficient way that, I mean, you got to push him way up the rankings of players in terms of the way he's played in February so far. Absolutely. I feel like I've missed something when we're, we're going down the list of things to talk about. Is there anything on the list? I'm just going to ask you straight up. What else am I missing from, from today's conversation about not only just the road trip, whether it's the, the playing race or the upcoming schedules or anything I forgot on our list, Jim, that you want to touch on right now? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, we didn't even get into the, the playing race. I mean, that was another part of Sunday night that was, was a, a positive almost in some ways. And I say this in a good way, that part of the story was almost overshadowed or was overshadowed by what happened in the game. The fact that they were up by 30 at the end of the third quarter and that they were able to beat a team that um, let's be honest, is not very popular among the Pelicans fan base, yep. be able to beat them by such a, in such a resounding way. Um, the fact that new Orleans moved into 10th to me, I mean, I didn't even make that big of a deal of it last night in what I wrote or in tweets and that kind of thing, just because there was so much other stuff to talk about, but in terms of the reaction specifically as well to the win over the Lakers, to me, I mean, people are excited, so excited and it was fun to see um, how happy people are and pumped people are even into Monday morning, Monday afternoon now that we're speaking on the podcast. But to me, I think part of maybe not even just specifically the win over the Lakers, but the way that the team has started after the all-star break and the optimism that the fans and people in general have about the Pelicans going forward I mean, part of it, we've talked, touched on this a little bit throughout the season, but to me, you appreciate stuff more when it comes in difficult fashion, when it's hard, when it's not easy. I mean, if you're the Suns and you're 49 and 12, you might get to the point where you take things a little bit for granted because you just expect to win. But the way the Pelicans started out the season at one and 12, 
I mean, to be in the position that they're in right now, I mean, people from the outside might say, you know, the 25 and 36, still not really a great record. But if you look at where they came from, I think you factor that all in to why um, people are so happy, relatively speaking, with the way that the Pelicans are playing right now, as well as just, I mean, that was so much fun, the, the game last night. And um, in the article that I wrote on pelicans.com that I just posted just before I started speaking with you, that was kind of the theme of fun. And it was amazing to me how many times in post-game quotes, even though um, the post-game session wasn't super long last night, that word came up so many times. So I'm happy just to see everyone enjoying what happened with the game and just the way that their direction that the team is headed right now. Very well said. And I think the other thing that I'm going to take away from this road trip is Todd Graffinini is all aboard the scoreboard watching train, Jim. Saturday <laughs> night here in Los Angeles, he met up and we, we put on heat spurs at the at the restaurant we're at. The fact that they looked at us funny when we asked for heat and spurs on a Saturday night. But he was all aboard the scoreboard watching. He was every time I did a scoreboard update on the radio, he was looking over at my iPad to see what's what's the score. What's I'm like, I'm going to get to it. And so the fact that we had Todd on the scoreboard watching, I bet you he's going to be watching Spurs Grizzlies tonight, and I'm sure I will too. But I, I think that might be the biggest accomplishment of all right now. I, I was That's exactly what I was going to say. I was going to say mission accomplished by us that we even got Todd to jump on board the scoreboard watching train. Well, it's interesting. I will say that, you know, you, you said that they were confused in L.A. when you mentioned this you wanted to put them to put the Spurs heat game on. If things keep going the way that they are, they're going to be do, need to do a lot of scoreboard watching in LA because they're going to be right in the mix as far as the teams that are trying to be in the play-in tournament. And it's not even a lock right now of who's going to be in there. So um, there might be a lot of scoreboard watching going around, going on around the league and around the Western conference in the coming weeks. But what I hope happens is that we can still scoreboard watch, but do so with a little bit less stress and by that, I mean, hopefully New Orleans can keep winning and give themselves a little bit of cushion so that we're not, it's not coming down to the last week of the season or the last game or two. I would love to be able to have our next step be let's scoreboard watch the teams that are in eighth and ninth and that kind of thing so that you can uh, keep moving up the standings and not have it be either 10th place or, or your season ends. Absolutely. You know, the fact that you get two wins on the road, now you get to come home. We'll see if the Pelicans can take advantage of some home cooking and hopefully We'll see you guys at the arena on Wednesday and Friday. The Pelicans host the Sacramento Kings on Wednesday. They play tonight in Oklahoma City. They're starting to dwindle a little bit. They're in 40 losses, so they're four games behind the Pelicans, but this can kind of push them aside on Wednesday if you're able to secure a win. And then you have a tough Utah Jazz team on Friday who just took down the Suns. The Pelicans, remember, have split the two on the road. And now we'll look to secure a win against them on Friday. And then you hit the road again against two really tough teams, Denver on Sunday and then Memphis next Tuesday before back-to-back -back with Orlando. And then you're at home for four games. So the fact that the Pelicans have four of the first six games on the road and you took two of them, that's another thing we didn't talk about. This team has won five in a row, and you tweeted about it for the first time since, the, since 2018 that they've won five road games in a row. So hopefully everyone can show up on Wednesday and Friday. And, uh, yeah, scoreboard watching is a lot, a lot of fun when your team is 2-0 after the All-Star break. So hopefully you continue to gain some ground these next couple of days and wait for the Pelicans to play again on Wednesday. Jim, I appreciate it. I know after last night we texted each other, so we have to talk about this game, talk about this weekend on, on Pelicans.com. So we'll be back on Wednesday for another podcast. The, the goal is to get Mark Medina, who wrote a great article on CJ McCollum this morning for NBA.com. 
and then we'll wrap up the week with another podcast on Friday. Jim, I appreciate it, my friend. Enjoy that recliner. Take take the day off. Enjoy Lundy Grock. Go downtown. <laughs> I'd be happy to. Hey, I'm always glad to speak and have a uh, quote unquote emergency podcast when they the team is coming off a 28 point win on the road against the Lakers. So the next time they win by 28 points against the Lakers, I can promise you I will be ready to speak, even if it's right after the game or early the next morning. All right. And you can catch Jim on the post game show as well with me on Wednesday night after hopefully a Pelican's third straight win. As again, they welcome in the Sacramento Kings. Thanks to Jim for coming on. Thanks for you for listening today. Enjoy the rest of your Mardi Gras today and tomorrow. Be safe and get to the arena on Wednesday. And until then, for Jim, I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening to the Pelicans podcast presented by Seeky.